This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> Need like a, like a, a cue card. I can smell it seeping through the floorboards and it's going to, uh, it, it's intoxicating me, but... Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Welcome back to another episode of the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. And I'm Adam Booker. I don't know about you, Adam, but up until about half five UK time on Saturday afternoon, I was having a superb week. I was having a really, really nice week. My mental state was was in a great place. And then at about half eight that same night, it just plummeted. I can't, I can't think of the reason why, but I don't know about you. Yeah, the best I can say for myself is I woke up this morning. Make of that what you will. If you want to take that as a positive or a negative, all uh, I can say is I did wake up this morning. I did have a little bit of joy walking out the ground, though, reading a text message from yourself saying, what time are we recording tomorrow? I'm pretty unapproachable right now, but does 7 o'clock sound okay? <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. But yeah, I guess there's only real one place to start, really. And that is, of course, in Lisbon, where City were 5-0 winners. And that's exactly what we're going to be focusing on today. None of the other stuff. And yeah, City is superb. But no, City 2, Tottenham Hotspur 3. A really, really frustrating evening's football at the Etihad Stadium. And the Spurs scourge is real. Once again, loses against Tottenham. Just two wins in the last seven meetings against the North London side. City coming from behind twice, which is not something that City do that too often. You know, sometimes we get a, a goal back and eke a point out of it or go on to win the game. But to come back from 
be to come from behind twice was just so bitterly disappointing when that 95th minute when winner went in. Assessment of the match itself, then, Adam. What what were you sort of your main takeaways from it? Yeah, it was it was a really frustrating game. It felt like kind of 2019-20 City all over again. Um, they controlled the tempo, the possession, the general run of play, but every single time the ball went the other way, they just looked wide open. Um, you know, we talked about this a bit last week where I had said that when we were having the is City boring discussion, and this is kind of how I described Liverpool, that they look great going forward, but they're kind of hanging on by a thread at the back, and that's what it felt like yesterday. Um, I mean, look, City outpassed Tottenham 748 to 299. <laughs> they outshot them 21 to 6. But most importantly, Tottenham trumped them in shots on target 5 to 4, and they scored three of those five. Um but this isn't something we've seen much of this season, looking that vulnerable at the back. I mean, you know, Tottenham played well, particularly Harry Kane, who was brilliant on the day. But in all honesty, it was kind of an avoidable defeat. I'd agree. I'd, I'd definitely agree. It was it was a bizarre it was a bizarre match. Um, I sent a tweet out uh, quite late last night saying that it felt like a match which had every single one of City's possible flaws all roll all rolled into one ninety minute performance. It felt like everything that could have gone wrong in this iteration of a, of a City team, which are minimal minimal flaws this team has all showed their ugly heads and in just 90, well, it turned out to be 100 minutes or so of football. Um, it felt like something was missing from the from the first whistle. I was late, I was late getting into the stadium, so I didn't necessarily get time to digest the, the team selection and whatnot. But when that first whistle went, it looks a bit weird seeing how advanced Bernardo was, especially considering how well he'd been doing in the, in the previous month, sort of operating in that midfield three. Obviously, Gundwan came in, so was there a little bit of, of trying to shoehorn the two in there? And obviously then again, Mares dropping out the side after we've waxed lyrical in the past couple of weeks about how important he is to City. Another goal in midweek, and then suddenly he's on, on the bench for what was possibly at the time City's most important league game. The balance of the side felt different to how it had been in previous weeks when it was working so well, and suddenly that was just torn apart. Yeah, I think Bernardo was certainly a miss in midfield. Um, Now, I don't know if this is down to the lack of Bernardo in midfield, but the ball retention seemed to be abysmal at times. I mean, both Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne would win the ball back in midfield and then almost immediately give it away themselves. I mean, typically you think they would, you know, maybe collect the ball and go straight back to a defender and reset the play and set up the shape and you know kind of how you think Pep would want it. Now that may not that may not have been the instruction. The instruction may have been to ramp up the tempo when you win it back in midfield when Tottenham are stretched. But as a result, it led to just this helter skelter at times style of play in midfield where Bentoncourt would give it up or Pierre-Emil Hoiberg would give it up and then Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne would win it and give it straight back to them. And it just, it felt like that midfield balance along with the ball retention was just, it was really lacking. There was a passage of play. I can't remember which half it was in. There was a passage of play where both teams gave the ball away. It must have been three or four times and that was in no more than 30 seconds of football. It was astonishing at times. It felt like watching a Sunday league game or or a kids game of football where any sort of game plan and and I speak for both teams here because we'll, we'll get onto it a little bit later on but I don't think Tottenham were were superb they scored three goals which you know you mentioned at the top there not that many shots that they, they, they came from but Tottenham weren't 
spellbinding. They weren't. It wasn't a masterclass for my eyes in terms of the way some of the narrative has gone. But it did feel just like, especially at the back, there were so many clear problems. I hold my hands up. First goal is a really good counter-attack um, early on in the game. City just trying to find the river. Tottenham knew the spaces would be there and City play over high line. There's nothing really you can do about that. Young Min Son is a world-class footballer. Um, but let's take nothing away from him there. It's a decent enough finish. There are probably parts of the goal where City could do a little bit more. But those two goals, or even three if you include the offside one in the second half, were such lazy goals to concede. Individual errors across the board failing to stop the crosses coming in and then not reacting to second balls. It, it all felt a little bit amateurish at times. You're right. I mean, it was schoolboy defending on those on those last two goals. The ball watching, the failure to track runs coming in from deep, it, it was all a mess. Um, you know, we, since the full-time whistle, we've heard reports that the city defenders were speaking after the game and they all seemed confused on how to deal with Harry Kane dropping so deep and picking up the ball. Um you know, and what did Harry Kane do? He would drop into kind of a number 10 position, pick up the ball, play it to a speedy winger, and then he would make a, a late run into the box. Does that sound familiar, City Defenders? Because it's <laughs> all your team does for 90 minutes, 38 games a year, a year. So I'm a bit confused at how they didn't understand how to deal with that. But clearly, they didn't. And that that seemed to be what was ripping them apart was they couldn't deal with those late runners into the box. I don't know if that was a miscommunication if it was just pure laziness and ball watching, but it was a complete mess. Like I said, it felt every single flaw City players have and the City team have all rolled into one. One player who I wasn't particularly impressed with was Rodri, and I am a huge Rod- Rodri fanboy. I'm, I'm absolutely, he, he's my type of footballer, and down to the how high his socks are, you know, stuff like that. He, he looks, he looks the business tucked in shirt. He is the perfect midfielder in my eyes, the perfect footballer. But yesterday he felt disjointed. Now I don't know if that's because of dropping out of the side last weekend against Norwich. He hasn't played that much football in the last couple of weeks. But when Harry Kane was dropping deep, your immediate reaction would be the holding midfielder would be the man to go and pick him up. But that just didn't happen. It seemed like it seemed like Rodri was was focused on trying to trying to deal with the the impact Heiberg was having and and the other Spurs midfielders who who did a job on him, I would say. It was the first time this season I think Rodri's really been isolated from the game. Yeah, and I think I think this is where we could possibly look at Bernardo being pushed up a little bit higher uh, up the field because while he's not the most, you know, the, the biggest physical specimen on the pitch, his work rate is so crucial when it comes to dealing with opposition midfielders and winning the ball back. Um, but I totally agree that Rodri just kind of looked out of his depth for some reason. There was plenty mm. of times where he would he would win the ball back and then immediately give it away, like I said earlier. And that's not something that we see Rodri do at least this iteration of Rodri, you know, like I I mentioned earlier, the 1920 city. Well, this was 1920 Rodri where he had, he had just received the baton from Fernandinho for starting in some of the bigger games. And and he really looked out of his depth. Now I don't think we can, we can say that Rodri is out of his depth in general because of how good he's been in the past 16, 17 months. Um, But you're right. He looked almost sheepish at times. Felt like the the speed of play passed him by, which is something we saw a lot in his first season in England. And he's worked so well on just being able to understand how football works in this country and understand the transitions. And, and again, Tottenham were really good 
in in the counter-attacks. They, they caught City out in the areas where, where we were weakest, particularly in behind the fullbacks where the space was going to be. But but yeah, it was a it was a strange performance all around. And Rodri just one of a number of players who who let themselves down really after the standards that have been set. But no, the two goals came from crosses, which were probably preventable you know who knows Harry Kane's a good striker he's in the box that's what he does he scores goals but at the opposite end of the pitch City made 30 crosses in the game and that was a clear pattern of play City were trying to trying to operate with despite their tallest attacker who started the game being five foot 11 inches now from Tottenham the Tottenham defenders, it was a lesson on how to defend those crosses, how to make sure the ball's coming into the box immediately go out and how to deal with second balls bar the one goal that Gundogan got. But it leads us to a question from the Kipax kid who asks us, was this the sort of game where City could have done with a striker on the pitch? And then what about Liam Delap, who was on the bench as well? Personally, I was shocked not to have seen Delap involved in any capacity, even if it was the last few minutes. I don't know what your take was on it, but I, I was really sort of left a little bit disappointed, left a little bit like thinking what could have been. This was seemed to me his perfect opportunity to come on the pitch and make an impact. I think it definitely was one of those games where having a big man who can fight through the muck in the box and, and latch onto crosses would have been really helpful. Um, but I think it's unfair to chalk up the lack of scoring chances to that i i thought city stopped doing some of the things that were working for them in the first half i mean if you go back and watch that first half the amount of times that phil foden skinned ryan sessignon on that right wing it it was just like clockwork the ball would circulate around to him he would go past him and he would create a chance that stopped in the second half it felt like a lot more of the play ended up down the left and then you're wondering well why did we stop going the direction that was working in the first half? Um, but as far as Delap goes, I mean, I think it'd be pretty unlike Pep to put on a teenager coming off of multiple serious injuries that hasn't played much football mm. this year. Um, you know, Pep is is a guy that, while he needs talent, of course, on the field, the biggest thing for him seems to be, can I trust the person I'm putting onto the field to do exactly what I want them to do? And I'm not saying that Pep can't trust Delap, but we just haven't seen Delap play in the first team enough for me to feel like Pep would ever even consider putting him on in these kind of you know heightened circumstances. Okay, interesting, because for me, I'm coming at it from a slightly different angle where it set off a few alarm bells in my mind wondering what it would have had to have taken Guardiola this season to put Delap on in a situation where City are chasing a game. It's all well and good having the the twenty minute cameos against the Sporting in midweek when City are cruising at five nil, four nil against Norwich and whatnot. But one thing that you cannot take away from Guardiola is his development of young players in the senior squad. And we've seen it in the past with Foden where City have been chasing a game and they've needed a little spark of creativity. And yes, they're different players. They're completely different, operating on different areas of the pitch. But Foden's been thrown in at the deep end a little bit and he's been made to learn the hard way. I'm not suggesting Delap would have been City's saviour yesterday to come on and bag two and led City to victory at all. 
it's likely that the same sort of things that were happening before the lap would have come on would have happened again where the Spurs defenders would have been first to everything and he'd probably come off the pitch feeling a little bit battered and bruised. But it's that sort of the next time City get into that situation where we're perhaps chasing a game and it could be in a Champions League knockout tie where, where it is literally... 90 minutes is done and dusted and you're out of the competition. He's not going to have that that sort of knowledge and that nous of what to do, where to go, where to operate in the box, what what works, what doesn't. The players on the pitch, it's okay doing it in training and the balls can come in and he can find his head and, and, and glance them in or whatever. But to have that game experience, I, I thought it was the perfect opportunity. So I don't know whether or not you sort of suggest that it, it would have been too much too soon. Is that is that where you're sort of coming at it from this? this I'm not saying I believe that it was too much too soon. I think that maybe Pep did. Now, I I might sound like an absolute lunatic saying this, but I don't <laughs> actually think that Pep was sitting there at the touchline and feeling very unhappy about the way the game was playing out. I'm sure he was unhappy yeah, about yeah. the scoreline and City's vulnerability going the other direction. But when Pep looks at that game film again, he's ultimately going to see a game where City completely controlled the tempo, controlled all of the possession, had a million and a half balls played into the box. Now make of make of that what you will. Of course, those those balls were just meeting Tottenham heads every single time. Hmm. But I this is a bit of the where Pep's genius meets Pep's psychotic nature. Is I don't necessarily think he looks at that and thinks we've we have issues here because on another day city score three four five and they they're not so vulnerable at the back and this game is a thrashing so i i think that's kind of the the thing with pep is there isn't a plan b when it comes to pep guardiola there is make plan a work at all costs it wasn't city's worst performance of the season and it wasn't actually the the worst performance where City have, have dropped points. It wasn't even the worst performance at all. Um, obviously, unsurprisingly, City outperforming Tottenham on XG. City coming in with with just under two point six, and Tottenham one point seven four. So you look at the the two goals City scored there. They were probably good money for two. Possibly could have have, have got away with three on another day. And while Tottenham <laughs> six shots and you score in three with an XG of one point four, you know it, it tells you a little bit of of what you need to know. Let's talk Tottenham then because. I don't know what the issue is, but there's clearly an issue with that football club. And I think a lot of times players are asked, "Do you do you care about you know past results? Do you do you have these influences on a on your sort of performance? You go to stadiums where you may not have won." You play against teams where you don't usually pick up points, and the, and the stock answer is no. You know every game's different. We know we know what they can do. We know what they can offer. Obviously, the good teams, blah blah blah. But I would be surprised if City. Uh, in that dressing room, the City players are in that dressing room ahead of the game thinking, you know what, we've been done by them already this season. Those players that were with us in 2019, that Champions League exit is going to going to have left a, a big mark on them. It's left a big mark on me, so I can only imagine what it must have been like for the players who played. I'd be surprised if they weren't thinking this. This is a team that that has his, has that. This is a team that has our number, and I'm scared a little bit. You know, Harry Kane had a point to prove. Youngman Son has scored plenty of goals against City. The players there who who themselves had had points to prove as well. So I, I don't know if if there is an issue that needs to be addressed with the Spurs scourge, but it's definitely alive and well. I don't necessarily think there is a there may be a little bit, but I don't think there's too much of a mental component here. I just think that 
Tottenham are the perfect team to play against City at the end of the day. In the way that the two teams set up, especially the post-Potch Tottenham, in the sense that basically every manager since Potch left, they've set up in a back five. They've set up with Harry Kane, Hungman Son, Lucas Mora, ready to play on the break. So when City are going to pour numbers forward and they're going to have a high line, two of the best players probably of the Premier League era on playing on the counter and playing off of the back shoulder and making runs in behind and picking each other out is Hungman Son and Harry Kane. I mean, I think I, I saw a stat today saying that they've now become the most prolific like strike partnership in Premier League history. I don't know if it's technically a strike partnership, but <laughs> 20 the adjudication panel there. Right. 26 goals that they've scored between them. Um, and I think that's just, it's a perfect kryptonite for City and the way that the te- two teams play. It's like the, the 2017 18 version of Liverpool playing against City and that team that was able to undo City so often because that was before Liverpool played more of a possession game. That was back when they would soak up pressure and they would hit you on the break with Mane and Salah and and have all that heavy metal speed going forward and it and it works against City. Um so I don't necessarily think there's some big mental hoodoo that the players have to get over. I just think it's a really tough matchup with the way these two teams play. The good news is we don't have to play Tottenham Hotspur again this season. Um, who knows going into next season if that if that voodoo will still hang over City's heads. But let's try if we can to take away some positives because I, I'm with you. I don't think it was. I don't think Guardiola will, will look back on the defeat and go we were woeful. Um, thinking back to City's last defeat in the Premier League against Crystal Palace, that was exceptionally poor performances all around for my money. So if you're comparing the the last defeat and the most recent one, I think it's testament to how far City have come. It's, what is it, 43 points out of a possible 45 before that. It's now one defeat in the last 16 Premier League matches, which is an astonishing run. The positives, I suppose, were the fact that we were able to claw ourselves back into the game twice, albeit the goals we scored were were somewhat fortunate. Lloris making an error for the Gundogan goal, a really good finish, and, and that's sort of like 2020-21 Gundogan sort of showing its head a little bit again, the goals he scored last season. And then a, a truly astonishing penalty from Riyad Mahrez, who really has got into his groove of scoring from the spot. Yeah, there certainly were some positives. Um These positives may sound like negatives, but a a couple of the positives that I took away from this is I think Pep learned what not to do the rest of the season, which is take Bernardo out of midfield. Um, I think we could be seeing a little bit more of John Stones at center half in the next few weeks. I thought Laporte didn't cover himself in glory. And like I said, these sound like negatives, but it's lessons are a positive Mm. thing. Um, and and like you said, typically when City lose a game like this, it means a run is coming because they don't react. They don't take it well losing like this. And the way that they react is we're going to win seven, eight, nine games on, on the spin now. Um, and when it comes to the title race, that's going to be something that's that's really important down the line. So typically when we see City lose like this, it it, it means something good is coming around the corner. 
positives that sound like negatives is the most Mancunian sentence I've ever heard anybody outside of Manchester come up with. It's just absolutely spot on. But yeah, you know, let, let's move on to the title race then, because much to the contrary of, of the opinionists online and, and keyboard warriors across the world, the title was done and dusted heading into this game, but quite clearly it wasn't. Let, let's just put it that way. Um, I've always been of the of the opinion that regardless of the points gap, it could have been 20, it could have been 25, it could have been 30. January or February is too early to call the league done and dusted for my money because we see in this particular situation the, the difference between City and Liverpool. If you take Liverpool winning their game in hand as a as a sort of granted. Now it, it may not be, but if you if you give them the three points for that, it was nine points. That for me is is a week a bad week in football, and suddenly it's flipped on its head. It looks as if now City have 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 lost that game. It could be down to three points. Obviously Liverpool winning against Norwich, which pretends to be shocked that came that came about it seems like Liverpool have every single season it seems like Liverpool have a game against a relegation candidate where they'll go behind and suddenly everyone's scrambling online going oh my god oh my god it's happening it's happening it's like gif isn't it from the office it's happening it's happening (laughs) and then suddenly before you know it it's Liverpool three Norwich one and and that was definitely the case at the weekend but where's your head at now with the title race because City still in pole position will still be favourites, but there's an issue that perhaps the momentum could swing from one club to another. I don't necessarily think that the momentum is going to swing from one club to another. Like you said, City have picked up 43 of the last 45 game, uh, 45 points. They're, they're not necessarily going to drop their heads because they finally lost a game. Um, you know, for all the uproar that City were too good and nobody will ever be able to compete with them, they're too well funded. It only took 90 minutes for Liverpool to suddenly become title favorites again amongst the media. Um, of course, you'd still rather be City at this moment. They still have a lead. Um, Liverpool still have to come to the Etihad. They haven't won a league match there since November of 2015. Um, so. I don't necessarily think there's a momentum swing. Liverpool are just a very good side that are going to win most of their games. And it's not like they're on some sort of special run. Um, They're just a very good team that's going to win a lot of games. But so are City. And, you know, it's probably going to come down to that game at the Etihad. But you'd still rather be City in this situation. Points on the board are what you'd prefer to have. I don't think there's any sort of denying that. I would suggest, though, that of of all the clubs in European football, in world football, the one team that you don't want to get into a sort of head-to-head battle each week is probably Liverpool because they have shown in previous title seasons where where City have, have... on the whole, come out on top. I'm thinking 2013-14, I'm thinking 2018-19. They do have the ability to really go on these runs that City do as well. And it's a bit it's a bit of an oxymoron because Liverpool's running is quote-unquote harder. But for me, they're the sort of team that would relish them big games. I'd prefer to be going away to, to United. or I've, Sorry, I'd prefer to be getting United to come to City in the last few weeks of the, the season. I'd prefer to be playing against the likes of Tottenham and whatnot instead of the games where City have been susceptible, which is what City's running is looking like. So it's shaping up to be um, a, a fascinating a fascinating title race again. That April the 9th game as it stands against City and Liverpool, oh my God, mark it in your diary. That is, that is looking like it could be one, one for the ages. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I'm I'm not looking forward to it, to say the least. I mean, this the, the next few months looks like it's going to be another season that takes a few years off of your life. Um, I, I was talking with somebody on Twitter today thinking about that this is how the Real Madrid and Barcelona fans must have felt mm. for the entirety of the Messi-Ronaldo era, where it was like, if you lose one game, the title is lost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, like you said, Liverpool are a very good team that can put together these runs. So are City. It, it's it's almost like there's not that much to say because these two teams are going to continue to win and win and win. And it's going to be like 2018-19 where you have to watch every minute of every game to see if one of them is finally going to drop a point or two. Mm. Um, but it's it's not going to be enjoyable. One thing that struck me from um, the sort of last 24, 72 hours after the Tottenham defeat was the hysteria, the, the absolute uproar. And, and that comes from that comes from all sides of the footballing sort of environment and the footballing world. It seemed after sort of being told for the last two months repeatedly that every time City thrashed a team, 4-0, 5-0, 6-3, 0 whatever it was, nobody cared about City. Literally, literally nobody cared about City. They, they, they were just a, a little club who was buying their way to to league titles but suddenly after city's first league defeat in over 100 days like i said one loss from the last 16 matches everyone cares about city so are we sort of verging on um i don't know how to word it but are we verging on a, on a sort of time when every time city look like they're going to drop a point or look like they're going to going to lose a game the entire footballing world just seems to look like it's going to collapse on itself yeah, and let's be honest here, Amos. The no one cares about City is is purely a coping mechanism. That's that's all it is at the end of the day. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of comments on on our Twitters or TikTok or wherever this clip gets put out to saying cry more, but it's purely <laughs> it is purely a coping mechanism because City are much better than basically everybody else. Um but we are coming into this era where whether you like it or not, City are the team to beat. It was united for a couple of decades where when they dropped points, the teams in third, fourth, fifth, they had a they had a field day because it meant, oh, maybe there's some daylight for us. Um, look, if you're a Liverpool fan, if you're a Chelsea fan, you're lying to yourself if you don't care about City because City's results matter to you at the end of the day that's that's all it is. You, you might not you might not like to hear that, but there's a reason we saw scenes of pubs in Liverpool acting like they just won the World <laughs> Cup because City dropped their first their lost their first game since October. You know, it's it's because they care because the results matter to them. Yeah, let let's wrap up the Premier League chat, but before we do, I just wanted to pick up on something that worried me a little bit because I don't think it's the first time we've seen this and and we've mentioned before on this podcast that this City team is much different and is much better than ones we've seen before so there's no sort of suggesting that it will come back in but I was just wondering if yeah if if the Tottenham game was perhaps a situation that we've seen in the past where moments in matches and and it doesn't matter so much because it was uh, only three points on the line but when we get into the knockout stages of the Champions League where it has happened before moments in matches like seeing out a game in the 95th minute and not conceding a third scrappy goal after working so hard to get back into it could come back to hurt City again there are a list of Champions League knockout games where this has happened to City albeit the, the most uh, notorious being against Tottenham itself but 
have you any issues or worries or perhaps uh, am I sort of looking into it a little bit too much that there there may be some cracks of, of years gone by and, and sort of cracks of the club itself it, you know typical city is a tag that is as is, is old as time itself are you any sort of uh, apprehensions that when we get into the quote-unquote business end of the campaign there may be more slip-ups like this I'm going to take the optimistic route and say no I think the last 12 to 18 months have kind of um, backed me off the edge of the cliff a little bit with when it comes to this because if you look at last season's run to the Champions League final I think in both legs against Dortmund, Dortmund scored first and City came from behind to win both of those games and, and win mm-hmm. the tie. Um, PSG scored first in Paris. City yeah. came back to win the tie, go to the final. Um, you know, if you look at the league season a- as a whole last year, City were, I think, 13th after 10 games or something like that and and finished on top. So I think this this City team is so different from... 2017 18 or even 18 19 in the sense that they don't seem to drop their heads as much as they used to with it felt like back in the day by back in the day i mean two or three years ago if if city <laughs> got pun- right if city got punched in the mouth they weren't they weren't going to get back up the reason they were winning titles winning cups is because they didn't get punched in the mouth often but when they did by tottenham by liverpool and some of the derbies um they, they couldn't get back up, but we've seen them now in big games. Some of the biggest games in club history, that that semifinal at the Parc des Princes, probably at the time the biggest game in club history, um, come from behind and, and win these big games. So I would say that this this iteration of City, I don't, I don't have that sort of skepticism about them picking their heads up and, and getting through adverse moments. One man who's really helped with that is Ruben Diaz because yesterday, I don't know if you clocked, I don't know if the, the television cameras picked it up, but every time City conceded, including the offside goal and even in the 95th minute, he grabbed the ball immediately and was running back to the halfway line. And I think his mentality as a footballer is sublime. The only sort of thing I'd say that could sort of be different to your approach on this is the fact that uh, crowds are back in stadiums and it, I don't know if if that had an impact last year but you go to the Signal Aduna against Dortmund and you go to a second leg and you sort of you need to get a result basically and you have them sort of 80,000 Dortmund fans on your back it may be a little bit different I don't know I'm going to say it wouldn't have been different because I do I do agree the sort of approach this City team takes is much different but it's one to keep an eye on I think definitely you'd think the, the last 16 tie against Sporting is wrapped up with that five goal advantage. So we're looking again at another quarter final, which we managed to get past last season for the first time under Guardiola. So here's hoping again it can be another season. But but yeah, we'll park the, the Premier League chat, we'll park the Champions League chat for now because we're going to move on to a brand new segment, um, a new segment for this week. We're week three and we're already ripping up the rule book because <laughs> introducing. Booker's bone to pick. Now, this is basically an excuse for Adam to have a grumble about something that's picked his bones over the last seven days in football. And we're kicking it off with a less than contentious topic of refereeing decisions. Take it away, Mr. Booker. Yes, my bone to pick this week is refereeing decisions comparisons. Now, after City was awarded the penalty yesterday, which Riyad Mahrez slotted home to equalize, um, I saw a ton of people online 
pointing to a, an incident in the Arsenal game earlier in the day saying, well, if that's a penalty, then how is this not a penalty? <laughs> Premier League refereeing is so piss poor. You cannot <laughs> take one decision on one day from a different game with a different VAR and a different side judge and a different referee, different circumstances, and say, if that's A, then this is A. It just does not work like that. And I'm so sick of full-grown adults just spewing their whataboutism all over the internet when it comes to refereeing. And that is, that, that's it. That's my bone to pick. I just had to get that off of my chest. It's a bizarre take, isn't it? Because we saw it again with Craig Parson, the fourth official, who, who's been getting a little bit of stick online because uh, when Harry Kane's winner went in against City on uh, on Saturday, he turned around and looked really... It, the optics look bad, but for anyone who's had any sort of, uh, sort of work in football, be that in the media side, the refereeing side, officiating side, anyone who has a job to do in relation to a football game will tell you a 95th minute goal in a five goal game already is a nightmare the bureaucracy that man would have to be put through to be after that goal itself I think you sent a tweet out yourself Adam saying he'd have wrote something in his little book and now I had to just completely rip it out but no it clearly is the the stone cold proof that the referees which can't even organise a piss up in a brewery are clearly conspiring against one team and it doesn't matter which team it is because every Every team has their fan base, uh, has their fans who say it's our team that the referees are, are against, which is usually enough proof to say that no, actually nothing's going wrong. If every team's saying it, then nothing's going wrong. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where Craig Paulson is from. I don't know who he supports. I, I would imagine it's not Tottenham or City, just based <laughs> on the fact that he's working that game. Um, but like you said, anybody that's ever written a match report in their life would would understand his exact expression in that situation because he had he had dotted the i's he had crossed the t's he had submitted his work to his superior right as harry kane <laughs> is heading the ball home to score and he's just thought i've got to do all of this over again it's happened to me a million times where i've spent a two-hour game period writing a, a match report and there's two games in stoppage time and i've got to do two hours worth of work in in five minutes it's a horrible thing but at the end of the day, maybe he's just an Arsenal fan. Well, I can, I can confirm he is, in fact, a Sheffield United fan, which I'm trying to think of any sort of lasting legacies between either Tottenham, Liverpool, Arsenal. Um, he was just I'm, gutted I'm, for I'm, Kyle I'm Walker. Yeah, yeah, that's that must be it, wouldn't it? He must, he must like to see a fellow Yorkshireman take home as many Premier League medals as he can. But no, it, it was a strange one. It was a really strange one. Like I say... Premier League refereeing is bad enough as it is. To suggest that there's a conspiracy is is mind-boggling. It, it really does scratch my head. And and there was a few things, which we're going to come on to another one, a slightly more serious one in a moment. But there's a few things after that that dreadful match against Tottenham, as bad as it was, as, as low as we all went after that, waking up to sort of scroll, you know, usual scroll through Twitter in the morning. And there were just sort of like a few tweets after each other, which were like absolutely mind-boggling. One of them being the the unbelievable scenes in a, in a, in a Merseyside pub after a, a one city defeat since October. But yeah, the internet can be a, a bizarre place at times and, and it's never it's a never a good place to go after after City lose, let's put it that way. But like I said, one of those um, pretty alarming topics that, that came up 
the day after the Tottenham game was a video that was circulating of Phil Foden, who was out to watch a boxing match in Manchester. I believe he was one of a couple of City players there. I think Raheem Sterling was pictured there as well. But the video itself focuses around uh, a situation involving Phil Foden's family, where they seem to be going into sort of a private box. And there's there's a number of people following him in there, saying stuff, quite pretty rude, pretty horrible stuff, um, going after the family. And I, I think his girlfriend was there, his mum was there. And one thing led to another. And suddenly there are, there are punches being thrown, there are um, it's just quite a, an unruly situation going on. Now, we'll obviously be careful of what we say because presumably this will, will be taken further by by the authorities and by the law and we're sort of restricted on what we can say. But I don't know what your your first thought was when you when you watched that video, Adam, but mine was, it, it was pretty tough to watch. This is just a classic sports fan mentality that somehow these players, no matter what situation they're in, they are zoo animals that you are on the other side of a glass from that you can shout whatever you want throw whatever you want say whatever you want at the end of the day they are just humans they're no they're no different than you and i it's just a despicable thing to do to give somebody abuse in a social public setting just because they wear a different color shirt when they kick a ball on the weekend and um like you said we we can't say much we have different rules here in the u.s obviously about talking about ongoing investigations um but it's just such a vile thing to do and and why people think there are separate rules for footballers that you can just get away with doing anything to them in public is is just not right at the end of the day the club moved pretty fast on this um on sunday afternoon and they they released a statement which sort of laid it down and, and told it as it was. The the just just to sort of summarize, he said they're aware of a video circulating on social media involving Phil Foden and his family being harassed and abused. And I think those two words are the key talking points here, harassed and abused. This was not an unprovoked attack from Phil Foden's family or Phil Foden's party. They did not go up to some random people and just started getting in the faces, getting a bit aggravated because of because of no reason. The clip, it's hard to make conclusions, obviously, and we, like I said, we'll, we'll try and be as impartial as possible. But the clip shows a little bit of what is probably a, a 10 minute or so, let's say, it sort of event. Um, that, that hallway looked pretty big. So if they're being followed for the, that entire time, you're going to be annoyed and you're going to be upright. Yes, could things have been handled a little bit differently? Possibly. But like you say, what do people think gives them the right to go and harass footballers or, or any person of, of interest, to be honest, let's put it that way, any, any, anybody, to go and harass them in a public setting just because they wear a different colour uh, shirt. And it wasn't, Phil Foden wasn't the only one who was uh, involved in, in that event. It was an Amir Khan versus Kelbrook fight at the Manchester Arena. Everton's Jordan Pickford, there's a video going around of him being taunted by presumably a Liverpool fan saying that Everton are going to get relegated and, and, you know, Pickford handles it a little bit differently. He just sort of like laughs it off and stuff. But it it's just incredibly depressing that we're in a situation where and the last few weeks in football have been pretty tough. Footballers haven't shown themselves, as, as a collective, haven't shown themselves in a great light. But at the opposite end, supporters don't have 
uh, an obligatory right to say whatever they want, to shove a, shove a phone in a footballer's face because they see him on a, on a night out or whatever, looking, provoking a reaction. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm quite content with the way the club have handled it, to be honest, and, and came out straight away, protected the player. Because let's face it, Foden's been in the news a little bit before and the club are probably looking at how they can take him away from the limelight and they won't particularly be best pleased with some of his antics elsewhere. But this was really well done from City, in my opinion. But yeah, from from pretty serious serious topic, a pretty depressing topic, to a, a slightly more light hearted one, um, we're, we're gonna we're gonna be showing our faces on on the great app of TikTok. Um, we're gonna be we're gonna be clipping them up and and we're gonna be having our hot takes on that app. So so make sure you look out for that. It will be at the City Report where you will find Adam and I's beautiful faces. This is actually the first time we've recorded in on video isn't it so it's strange to actually uh have a face-to-face conversation yeah i've found myself having to click off of your face whenever i'm talking because i feel like you're gonna make me giggle like a schoolboy <laughs> by making making a face at me or something while i'm ranting yeah to be honest half the time when i finish speaking i'm just taking on fluids and i'm, I'm desperate for the toilet now so we'll we'll wrap it up there uh, make sure to follow subscribe click the link that will make sure that our our lovely podcast comes into your ears every week um apart from tiktok i think that's all the admin for us this week here's hoping we are a little more joyous when we return next week with another episode of the city report well that's that's been episode three we're we're up to up to three we're getting there we're getting there i think we're good should we get out of here sounds good superb yeah like i said make sure to hit follow subscribe and whatnot we'll be back again next week see you laters make sure you're geared up for man city's end of season running with mcdelivery great food delivered right to your door by using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.